Several years ago, actually just several months ago, as I was tucking my oldest son, who's five years old, Caleb, into bed, we were going through our typical evening routine of answering the world's most profound questions. For those of you who are parents, have you ever noticed how our children seem to come up with the craziest questions right when it's time for bed? And they find all these excuses to engage you in conversation. And our children are especially like that. Well, as we were going through our bedtime routine and and talking with one another, we then went into our time of prayer. And my son Caleb prayed a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, I think that dinosaurs are the coolest. And this world would be such a better place if there were dinosaurs walking around. So I pray that you would raise dinosaurs from the dead and that they would walk this earth once again. Amen. And as I listened to him pray that prayer, I felt that tension as a parent. Do I break it to him that it's probably not going to happen? Or do I tell him that, you know, Caleb, if you saw the movie Jurassic Park, you would know just how terrifying that would be. And you would take that sort of prayer back. But at the same time, I just loved the beauty of his prayer. I don't know about you, but A child's prayer, or even a childlike prayer, is one of the most beautiful things to an ear. And sure enough, that next morning, he bursted out of his room and he said, Mom, and I'd already forgotten about the prayer, he said, Mom, are dinosaurs in this world again? I said, no, sweetheart, they are not. But he continued on with his day as though nothing had happened. And he still, our boys continue to pray these daring and bold and almost audacious sounding prayers. And oftentimes when I listen to them pray, I wonder, what has happened to us as adults? Where our prayer life noticeably changes over time, where over time maybe our prayers become less frequent, or less authentic, or less honest, or less faith-filled. I wonder, what is it? Is it that we've had too many doses of reality, that we've experienced the pain in life, that we know all too well of staining our pillows with tears as we pray only to feel like God isn't hearing our prayers? Or maybe we lean lean into science and reason so much to the point that when we begin to hear our prayers, we think that's impossible. Why would I pray something so audacious? Because when you look at science and when you look at reason, the math just doesn't add up. What is it that happens to us? And you know, for some of us who are new to the Christian faith, prayer might seem like an odd thing. I mean, if you think about it, we're praying out loud by ourselves in a room, and to those on the outside, it looks like we're mumbling to ourselves, talking to ourselves, and as we're talking, we're hoping that someone up there in outer space or in heaven hears us. To some of us, prayer might seem like that. While for others of us, we have prayer baggage. I can remember well one of my first prayers that went unanswered in the way that I didn't think that it should be answered. I was in eighth grade, and I thought that the way to the in crowd or the cool crowd was to make the volleyball team. All the cool girls in eighth grade were on the volleyball team, so I practiced, and I had the the war wounds on my arms, the bruises, and I learned how to bump, set, spike, and I went to the tryouts, and I gave it my all, and after tryouts, I went home, I closed my bedroom door, I got down on my knees next to my bed, and I began to pray. Dear Lord, 
I promise if I make the volleyball team, I will obey my parents and I will unload the dishwasher and I'll make my bed every day. I also promise that I won't walk out of church every 10 minutes to use the restroom. And I, I promise that I'll be a good kid and I'll follow you better and I'll try not to sin. It went something like that. Well, to my dismay, when I pulled up to the school with my parents and went to go look at the list, my name was not on there. My first prayer, heartbreak. Or maybe it was a time that I didn't study for a test. I don't know why, maybe I forgot about it or maybe I was just being a lazy teenager. And so when the teacher passed out the test and put it on our desk, I said, dear Lord, I know I didn't study for this, but I believe that you are a God of miraculous power, so I pray that you would somehow transfer this knowledge into my brain and help me pass this test. And when I got the test back and saw that I had actually in fact failed, I wondered, why God aren't you answering my prayers? But then our prayer baggage and our prayer pain becomes a little bit more real. Maybe it's we are praying for financial provision, for God to provide in ways because we are barely making it and we are just needing to get one more meal on the table and we're tired of making it week to week and then when we look at next week's budget, we think that we may not even make it at all and we're at risk for losing our home and we're praying for God to provide whatever it might be. Or maybe you're praying for a loved one that you so desperately want to see God do a miracle and heal, and, and then that prayer goes unanswered or answered in a way that you desperately did not want it to be answered. If we were to be real and honest, I think all of us maybe have had that sort of experience where we look up to the heavens and we say, where were you, God? Why didn't this turn out the way I had expected? And so for many of us, we're afraid to pray because we're fearful of rejection. We're fearful of things being unanswered and we're fearful to feel that pain all over again. And, and then not to mention our busy schedules. We live in a world, it almost needs to go without being stated, it can go without being stated. Our world is flying at a million miles an hour and we live in a culture where if we sit down on our couch for five minutes we feel guilty because there's something we could be doing, there is an email we should be responding to, there is a bedroom that we should be cleaning or a closet that we should be cleaning out or there's a conference call that we should be on and so when we slow down just enough, that feeling of guilt takes over and so praying is just another check off the box. It's just another thing that we need to do and so then we look at prayer somewhat like dieting. The new year rolls around and we say, this will be the year that I am going to engage in a wonderful prayer life. And so we go to day one and we wake up and we get in our little prayer spot and we pray and about a minute and a half into it, we're already thinking about our grocery list. We're busy. And so whatever reason it might be, whether prayer seems odd and you're new to the Christian faith or the reality of pain is there or we're so busy. Many of us feel this tension of wanting to pray more or not knowing how or being afraid to pray, but I'm willing to guess that if you're in here this morning, you've prayed before. You've at least had a conversation with God once or twice, and then there's some of you who can and remember a time in your life where you weren't engaged in a prayer life. You have been walking with the Lord for so long that you know the Lord and, and your prayer life is just constant. It's almost a second language and second nature to you. 
but more than likely, every one of us in here has prayed. And so over the next six weeks, as we kick off this new series, Daring Prayer, we want to unpack with you some of the wonderful things that involve prayer and and help give you a fuller understanding because I contend that maybe some of the reasons that some of us give up on a prayer life except for Sunday mornings is maybe that we've been seeing it in the wrong light all along. Maybe we have been seeing God in the wrong light all along. Maybe we have been seeing God as some sort of distant banker up in the sky where we make divine transactions when we need it and we bring him our list and we check it twice and and we say, Lord God, this is what I need and I need answers. Or maybe we view God as some sort of angry judge up in the sky who's just always angry at us and so we're fearful to approach him. Whatever it is, throughout the next six weeks, we are going to invite you to take a look at what the full, free, prayer life looks like. And I'd like to just kind of look at a few points at a higher level. We're going to kind of look a thousand feet up today by taking a look at Luke chapter 11 verses 1 through 13 where Jesus gives a really wonderful teaching on prayer. Hear the words. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day your daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Lord, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. We could probably easily spend six weeks digesting this text alone or two to three hours this morning. But there's a few points that I would like to highlight with you that I think are really important points as we consider this prayer life. And so the first thing that I'd like to highlight is that we see as prayer is relational. I think so often we see prayer, again, as I mentioned earlier, as this divine transaction of we tell God what we need and and then we look for that transaction to come. But instead, it's this relational thing of, of conversing back and forth. In fact, listen to this quote from Bill Hybels. He says, the most fulfilling byproduct of a prayer life is not the satisfaction of checking off a daily to-do Perfect attendance in your prayer closet doesn't always equal deep fulfillment. 
the most fulfilling byproduct is also not receiving miraculous answers to the actual prayer pray, prayers prayed, although those are wonderful when they occur. What I have observed along the path of prayer life cultivation is that the greatest thrill to a life of prayer is a qualitative difference made in one's relationship with God. And so Bill talks about, Bill Hybels, he talks about that, yes, there are so many wonderful byproducts of the prayer life. It's amazing when we see answered prayers and we're always surprised when we see these miraculous answers. And then at the same time, he recognizes that the daily discipline of, of going before God and praying isn't always just this wonderful, high, feel-good experience. There's moments when we have to almost force ourselves to go to it, but what he says, he says, one of the greatest differences, the qualitative difference, is on a relationship with God. In other words, it's not about a check off the list. And some of us have some of that guilt, that religious guilt, if you will, where praying is just another check off the list or something that we need to do. But you see, in this text, we see that we address God as Father. And then Jesus illustrates this wonderful image of, of a parent providing to his children and wanting to give good gifts to his children. And so we see that God is this loving parent who invites us to be in relationship with him, to have this communal two-way conversation that's almost ongoing throughout the day that in the morning when we wake up before we hit the ground, we are saying, good morning, Lord. Have your way with me today. And as we're in the car driving to work, we begin this conversation. And as we're in meetings with other people, even in the back of our mind, we are praying for God to continue to lead the way, which leads me to my next point. Prayer is intimate. If, if it's relational, then it is also intimate. Just a few days ago, actually, my boys who are five and four discovered this trick in our home. In our bathroom is this vent that's on the wall, and on the other side of the wall is our master closet with the vent, and the vent is two ways, and our boys have discovered that if one goes and hides behind all the clothes and presses his face into the vent and the other one goes around, they can whisper to one another and actually hear one another. And it has just been so mind-blowing to them. And one of their favorite things to do is when I'm in the bathroom getting ready in the morning, applying my makeup, I'll hear this little tiny voice through the vent, hey, mommy, can you hear me? And I'll stop for a moment, I'll say, I hear you, and then I just hear this eruption of giggling and laughter, and they are just so surprised and so shocked that not only did I hear them, but I talked back to them through this wall. And we go back and forth, and we converse back and forth, and it's a lot of fun, but if you think about it, it would get really old if my relationship was talking through a wall with my son constantly, and if he was always surprised when he heard me and surprised when, when I heard him. And There's nothing like being in a room in the flesh with my boys as they sit on my lap and, and we press up our noses against one another and we look at one another in the eyes and, and we have heartfelt, honest conversations with one another. And in the same way, I think that we all too often view the prayer life as though there is some sort of wall or brass or separation between us and God. And, and when we begin to pray, we say, God, 
do you hear me? And then when we get little glimpses that maybe God did hear us, we are shocked. But friends, the good news of Easter that we celebrated just a week ago is that King Jesus who lived and breathed and walked on this earth, who hung himself upon a cross and three days later was raised again and then was ascended to the throne, the good news is that, is that the veil has been torn that the wall is gone and there is no separation and he invites us into this incredible, breathing, intimate relationship with him where we are walking with him and we are getting to know him. In fact, this word know shows up in the Gospel of John chapter 10 when Jesus is describing himself as the good shepherd and us as the sheep. Hear the words, he says, I am the good shepherd I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. An interesting thing about this word, know here. In the original Greek language, and the text, there is many different Greek words for the word know. So when you and I open up our Bibles, it's we, we don't know which type of know it is. There, it could be a head knowledge, a uh, type of knowledge that we gain through studying something and growing in that way. Or it could also be a know where it's an intimacy. And this word used here in this know about knowing the sheep and, and the sheep knowing God and, and God knowing the sheep is this word gnosko, which is not the word for head knowledge, but it's about knowing someone intimately and personally. It's the difference between knowing about Barack Obama and actually knowing your spouse intimately. To illustrate, if I were to walk into a room with a crowd of people walking across the room, and let's say my husband, Jeff Leach, who I've been married to for 10 years, let's say he were walking in the crowd through the room. If I were to stand up just a few feet above the room and I were to watch the bobbing of all the heads and all I could see were the top of the heads, more than likely I would be able to draw out which bobbing head is my husband's. Because I know his stride, I know his gait, or if we were in a grocery store and he were a few aisles over and I hear a bunch of footsteps, I would be able to draw out his footsteps from the rest. Or if there were voices in a crowd, I would be able to draw out his voice from the crowd. Why? Because I gnosko him. We've been walking together for 10 years. We have been spending time together for 10 years. I gnosko him. And in the same way, Jesus invites us to gnosko him. And this is what the fullness of this prayer life is about. It's not about this heavenly transaction. But Jesus invites us into this very intimate relationship that as we walk with him and as we begin to pray with him, we gnosko him and we are able to pick out his voice. As the world screams and calls out and tells us what direction we should go, we are able to discern his voice from the crowd. Prayer is intimate. It's not, hey, I hope you hear me, but it's, hey, there you are. Prayer is vulnerable, not 
formal. And so if prayer is relational, it means that relational means vulnerability, not formality. If you've seen the movie Meet the Parents, you would remember a hysterical scene where Greg, the soon-to-be son-in-law, is sitting around a dinner table with with his soon-to-be in-laws and is asked to give the prayer. And his prayer sounds like this. Oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a kind and gentle and accommodating God, and we thank you, oh, sweet Sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord, you have so aptly lain at our table this day, each day, by day, by day. Love thee more dearly, oh, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day, each day, by day, by day. Amen. It is a hilarious scene in the movie, but in many ways perfectly illustrates some of our fears about the prayer life. In my 12 years of pastoral ministry, I have observed that one of the things that keeps us from praying is that we are terrified of saying the wrong thing. Yes, prayer at times is formal. Yes, at times we say rote prayers, but it doesn't mean that informal prayers are wrong especially when we consider God being a relational God. In fact, if you are unsure whether a vulnerable prayer is scriptural or not, I urge you to take a look at the Psalms. In fact, Psalm 62, eight says, pour out your hearts to him. Pour out your hearts to him. In the Psalms, we see the psalmist pouring out their hearts in very strange ways at times where when we read the psalmist, we think, is it okay to pray that? That is a strange thing to pray, but it's because they were making themselves vulnerable before God. I love this quote from Max Lucado that says, prayer is not a privilege for the pious, not the art of a chosen few. Prayer is simply a heartfelt conversation between God and his child. Hear this. My friend, he wants to talk with you. Open it. Welcome him in. Let the conversation begin. He's low on fancy and high on accessibility. Pour out your hearts to him. Next, we need to know that God is willing. God is a generous God. I think some of the things that often keep us from praying is we aren't sure how willing and how generous God is, but as a relational God, we see a God that delights in giving good gifts to his children. However, in his willingness to answer us, in his willingness to respond to us, in his willingness to hear from us, in his willingness to speak to us and have this conversation, It doesn't mean it's always going to be buttoned up perfectly. It doesn't mean it won't be messy. It doesn't mean that at times it's not going to be confusing and that we are going to get answers in in ways that we are just so disappointed. But in his willingness and in this relationship and intimacy that he calls us into, he calls us into a journey of trust, of trusting him no matter what? And finally, he wants to teach us. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them very few things in the Gospels, 
But one of the things that they did ask Jesus was to teach them to pray. In 2010, I began my journey at Northern Theological Seminary. And when I began my journey, I started with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. You see, I had already gone and I had gotten my bachelor's degree in theology and I had been in full-time ministry for a number of years. I had a nine-month-old at home. I uh, was in full-time ministry and so I thought, how could I possibly begin working on my master's of divinity with all of this going on? Besides, God has been using me in ministry. I don't need this anymore. I've got my Bible. Isn't that enough? And so when I started my second class at Northern Theological Seminary and I began uh, taking a class on the book of Revelation. It was a five-day class for one week from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. And when I sat down in the back of the class, I sat down in the back because I was kind of mad. I didn't have time for this. In walks the professor, Dr. Gerald Borchert, who slowly shuffles into the room, felt like 10 minutes, with his back hunched over, and he slowly shuffles to his chair and sits down very slowly and opens up his Bible really slow. And I'm thinking, oh, have mercy. How am I going to get through these next five days? But then Dr. Gerald Borchardt opened up his Bible and he read the opening words to Revelation and began to teach the book of Revelation in ways that I had never heard taught in my entire life. And he began to talk about Jesus in ways that I had never heard about in my entire life. So the next day I got to class early and I ran to the front of the row and I sat at the edge of my seat and I opened up my notebook and I couldn't take notes fast enough as I was soaking in every single word that he had to say. And by the time five o'clock on Friday came, I was so severely disappointed that it was over because I wanted to keep learning from such a great master and teacher. And friends, in the same way, with this series on prayer, many of you walk in here who have been praying and walking for years, and many of you are new, and many of us might be thinking, I don't need this, but we would be missing out because God has something to teach every single one of us. And so what will be the posture that we have for the next six weeks? Will we come in at the edges of our seats? Lord, I wanna soak it all in before you, the great teacher, and I ask you to teach me to pray because I guarantee that if we come in the posture of a student instead of a chip on our shoulder, each and every one of us will walk away having seen prayer in a new and a fuller and a bigger way. Lord, teach us to pray. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I think you're going to surprise us over the next six weeks. Scripture is so clear on the power of prayer that when a community gathers together to lean in and pray, things happen beyond our imagination. So what I pray that we as a community would commit to stepping into the fullness of prayer that you have to offer us. 
that we would commit to conversing with you as we go throughout the day. That we would commit to being vulnerable and open. And that you would help us to see you. That we would have faith that you are not hiding behind the wall or the veil, but the veil has been torn and you are here among us. So Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts. Amen.